please stand up and give a warm welcome to Mr. Eric Zegger. All right, good morning. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, it is always a complete joy. Uh, it is always a complete uh, pleasure for me to come and preach in chapel today. And, and anytime I get asked, uh, I always jump at it because uh, I love this. This is, this is to me the greatest thing that happens at this school is what happens right here in chapel. As the word of God gets proclaimed to you, and as you think through the, the ramifications and the glories of Christ. Now, if, if I may, before I actually begin with First Peter, I just want to address something really quickly here. I want us to consider, why do we clap? Why, why did you stand up and, and clap for me? And I, I want to, um, I guess, put forward a reason why we clap. Because if, if you were like me, I, I came here six years ago, and I came to my first chapel, and they introduced the speaker, and everyone stood up and clapped. So I looked around, and I didn't want to be the one guy sitting down, and so I stood up and I clapped, because that's what you do, is you stand up and you clap, and if you're in seventh grade, you stand up and you clap, because that's what everyone else does. And if you're a new student, welcome to NC, you stand up and clap, because that's what everyone else does. Now, I want to put forward why we shouldn't clap, and why we should clap. Because here, here's the reality. You do not clap for the man. Don't clap for the man. If I'm not clap worthy. Okay? I stand before you not worthy of one millisecond of your claps. None. Zero. Because if you knew about me, what God knows about me, you wouldn't clap. You'd boo. Boo! Away with you, sinner. You're filthy and vile. How dare you stand up here? Oh, but if I knew about you, what God knew about you, I'd hiss and boo right back at you. So the reality is we don't clap for the man, but clap for what the man is bringing you. Clap because someone is going to stand up here and preach the word of God. Clap. Because the, the word of God is nourishment to your souls. Now, God could, in his sovereignty, strong enough to do this, he could just beam down an angel, and the angel could speak the very words of God. But in his sovereignty, he instead uses sinful, imperfect men. And sinful, imperfect men come here with all of our imperfections and we declare to you the great truths of the Bible. We declare to you the great worth of Christ and the great glory of God and that's what you need. That's why we clap. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter. My text is from verses 6 through 9, uh, but anyone who's had me as a Bible teacher knows I don't like starting in the beginning of a, or the middle of a paragraph, so we're going to start at the beginning. And as you're flipping there, Pastor Child started his sermon last week with two words, theology matters, theology matters. I want to add 
two more two-word phrases. Theology matters. Amen. Hallelujah. But also, context matters. Context matters. And thirdly, words matter. Words matter. So, if you will, out of respect now for the word of God, let's stand as we read, please. And if your version isn't the same as mine, that's fine. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which coincidentally is the exact same Bible that the Apostle Paul used. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, somebody. Amen, somebody. All right. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great promise that as as the rain falls and does exactly what you purpose it to do, so also your word falls even here right now, and it will accomplish that which you have intended it to accomplish. I thank you, Father, that your word never returns void. Your word goes out and it searches our hearts and it, and it puts us on the stand because we are guilty sinners before a holy and righteous and perfect judge and a holy and righteous and perfect God. And we stand under the full weight of the condemnation of of God Almighty in our sin. And yet we come and boldly come before the throne because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we are told and commanded to come before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And oh, how we need your mercy and your grace this morning. And so, Father, would you be pleased to use me, feeble, wicked, sinful, full of flaws, full of failures, to preach your perfect, spotless truth. And Lord God, I pray for hearts in this audience right now, may you make them soft to your word, that they may hear, that they may heed, that they may obey, and that Christ of all, above all, would be glorified. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat, please. Thank you. My, my title for this sermon is easy. It's Rejoicing Through Suffering. Rejoicing Through Suffering. And I want to lay out my thoughts in, in four points. And each one is associated with a verse. And each of them begins with the verb rejoice. So I'll go over them here and then we'll unpack them. So the first one is, out of verse 6, 
Rejoice through trials. Rejoice through trials. In verse 7, rejoice over what trials are producing. Rejoice over what trials are producing. In verse 8, it just keeps getting longer. Sorry, I'm like a Puritan. In verse 8, rejoice over the present reality for the believer. Rejoice over the present reality for the believer. And then in verse 9, rejoice over the future reality for the believer. So rejoice through trials, rejoice over what trials are producing. So six and seven are, are a combo pack. And then verse eight and verse nine are together there. Rejoice over the present reality for the believer. Rejoice over the future reality for the believer. So look at me at verse six. Look at how the verse begins. In this you rejoice. And this is why I said words matter and context matters. And, and if you're an astute person, you're going to ask yourself, what does this refer to? Why, why use the word this? This is an important word. Why? What does it refer to? And I'm, I'm glad you asked. And it refers back to last week. And this is why I'm so glad we're going through a book. This is awesome. We just get to build and build and build and build and build. So remember last week, verses 3 through 5. And I'll just briefly summarize what Pastor Childs talked about. In this, here's the this. Verse 3. Praise the Father because he has given us new life. In this, you rejoice. Praise the Father because he has given us hope and an inheritance. In this, you rejoice. Praise the Father because he is keeping us and will deliver as promised. In this, you rejoice. In those three things, O Christian, rejoice. It is a good thing. It is a wonderful thing to be reminded of truths you might already know because we are so forgetful. And it's also a great thing not only to be reminded of those truths, but it is a wonderful thing to rejoice in those truths. We, we, we serve Christ, a good and gracious king. Our father is a good and gracious king. This is who we serve. And then look as we go through the verse. Look at where Peter takes us. And it's, and it's three separate clauses. Clause one, after in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In Nebraska Christian, all these students in this room, teachers, everyone, this is the Christian life. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Grieving yet always glorying, tears, yet always with thanksgiving, fearful, yet always trusting, afflicted, yet always healed. One does not contradict the other. They hold in tandem. These are both true at the same time. They go hand in hand. And yet I want to ask you, what's the anchor to your soul during these tough times? What's the anchor? What keeps you ballast? What, what keeps you from flying off? What God has done for you. Verses 3, 4, and 5. That's, that's the anchor. You rejoice in this. God has saved me. He's keeping me. And then God will bring me to be with himself forever. 
I rejoice in that. That's why I rejoice. That's why I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Look at how Peter puts it in verse 6. Though now for a little while. I love how Peter puts that. Oh, oh, student, if I could just get you to see this. If I could just get you to see this. Oh, God, give them eyes to see this. Think of your life in relation to eternity. Okay? Eternity goes forever. So this doesn't even, this doesn't even do it right. Imagine eternity is the length of the basketball court. Your life, I see a little dust mite, really small, you have to have super eyes like I do, that's your life in relation to, whoa, hello, into the, re- the relation of the longevity of eternity, that's your life, and that's why Peter can say, though for a little while, in relation to eternity. If all I, if all you ever received from God's hand was pain and sorrow, it would still be momentary in relation to what is awaiting you and me for all eternity for those of us who have repented and trusted in Christ. That's the reality. That's why Peter says, though for a little while. It's a little while. Look also at the word necessary. Words matter, folks, and I want you to know, and I know we don't like this word, but I want you to feel the immensity of this word, the, the, the glory of this one word, if necessary. And I want you to see in this that God is doing something in this. God is at work. All of these trials, all of these griefs, all of these sorrows, God is in them and he is doing something. Don't miss this. Don't miss it, students. In all of your griefs and in all of your trials, God is at work. That's why words matter. And what is he doing? Look at verse 7. Because 7 talks about what the trials are doing, and this is where we get to the second point. We rejoice in the fact that God is doing something in our trials, so we rejoice through trials, and then we rejoice that God is producing something in us in our trials. Let's look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's so much in here. Verse 7 begins with two words, so that. Again, words matter, context matters. This is massive. So that is a purpose statement. It's a purpose clause. Why did you lift weights all summer? So that I could be strong for football season. Why did you take SAT, ACT, TOEFL prep all summer? So that I could get a 2200 in my SAT, a 30 in my ACT, and over 105 in my TOEFL. So that there's a a purpose to what you are doing. Why does God bring trials? 
so that. And so we are to rejoice because God is producing something. God is doing something. Rejoice in the fact that God uses trials in your life so that he, look at this, he produces genuine and purified faith in you. And, and I want you to, to, to know the weightiness of that so that God is doing something. If there is no so that, then what you get, folks, is purposeless trials. Why did you lift weights all summer? I don't know. Why on earth would you come to school and squat? Why on earth would you come to school and do hang cleans for no purpose whatsoever? You're just doing whatever. Why would you bust a gut running suicides? Why would you blow chunks getting ready for basketball? Why would you do those things with no purpose? And in the same way, folks, if there is no purpose behind your suffering, it's meaningless. It's useless. But, hallelujah, there is purpose behind your suffering. If God is doing something in it, there's a reason for it. And guess what, folks? There's hope in the midst of it. That's the reality of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There's, there's hope. Look again at verse 7. Peter then flows into a comparison. And he compares one thing in two ways, or two things in two ways. The first one is he looks at trials and how they test and bring about the genuineness of faith in the same way that fire tests gold. Okay? So faith now is being compared in a positive way to gold. As a as a oh, simile, it's like this. It's like that. So, if if you look at the Greek, the the the, the I think uh, what does it say in the ESV? It says uh, though tested by fire. The, the the point there is it's refined by the fire. Now, what does refining do? What do you do with gold to refine it? Well, you bring gold to 1,000, you don't need to write this down, this is just amazing. You bring gold to 1,947 degrees and, one, sorry, 1,947 and 52 degrees Fahrenheit, so 0.52 degrees Fahrenheit, that's hot, which then melts the gold, so the gold melts at that, at that point. So I have gold here. So it would melt the gold, and then there are impurities that come to the surface, and you skim them off. That's called the dross. So you skim off the dross, and then the gold, after it cools, then what they do is they take acid. How, how about that? They take acid and pour acid all over the gold, and you get pure gold. So how do you refine gold? You heat that baby up, and you put acid on it. How do you refine a Christian? Trials. That's it. Peter will state later, I'm not going to steal this, whoever's up in chapter 4. He'll state later in chapter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trial 
when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice. And so, as a man refines gold via fire, so also God refines you via trials. And, and here's, here's the reality. Peter comes back to suffering in every single chapter. Every chapter. Now, Peter wasn't writing with chapters and verses in mind. Those things came later. But we see how vitally important the theme of suffering is and holding fast underneath it through repetition. And that's exactly what we see. So, to repeat, trials test and refine a Christian in the same way as fire refines gold. Our trials are God's way of pulling our imperfections away and conforming us to Christ. That's the point. Second, your faith is greater than gold. Peter examines the, sorry English teachers, the betterness of faith over gold. It's better than gold. This is a lesser gold to a greater faith argument. That's what Peter's doing here. Gold is valuable, but gold perishes. It goes away. Gold gets less shiny. I've been married now for 11 years. This bad boy used to, used to, used to look good. Now it's just tarnished. That's what happens to gold. It tarnishes. It, it doesn't pop as, as it used to on the day of our wedding. But, I love this, your faith, when it is attached to a certain God, it never fails. It never fails. And moreover, it gets stronger and it gets greater over time. Gold diminishes Faith gets stronger. Faith improves. Faith gets awesomer. Sorry. In this verse, we see also the result of the suffering. And this is also important. Look at the result. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ means his second coming. In short, Peter is telling his readers, hold on. He's coming back. Hold on. And what's staggering here is, this is amazing. You get to see praise and glory both for Christ and also for the Christian. I'm, I'm 40, which according to statistics says that I'm halfway to my death. Over halfway to my death. And my consolation in life and death is that I belong to Christ. And my consolation in my death is that my eyes will close here on this world and I will wake up and my eyes will open and there I will see Jesus staring at me and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what I'm hoping for. And that's what we get. There will be commendation to the believer for holding firm in the faith and by the way, this theme of trials is not unique to Peter. All these trials produce something. You don't have to flip there. Just, just listen. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. There's that rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in in short, what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 is trials, sufferings bring endurance, character, and hope and a clearer demonstration of the majesty of God. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Joy in the midst of trials, what does it produce? Steadfastness. You keep going. Last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, probably my favorite. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, talking about the body, our bodies waste. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Your faith gets stronger as you get older. For this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They waste away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Affliction produces an eternal weight of glory. Take that one to the bank. And though Romans, 2 Corinthians, James were not written to the same audience as Peter, what I want you to see is there is a theme throughout Scripture in the New Testament. God sovereignly brings trials into your life to produce something. Behind every bitter providence is the sovereign hand of a loving God. Now, I just want to please plead with you students. Do not see trials as the disfavor of God. See them instead as God producing something. You don't see it right away. You don't. You usually see it after. After you've endured, you see what God has done. But Peter is just screaming out in this, in this epistle, hold on, rejoice. God is refining you. He's doing something. He's proving the genuineness of your faith. The same God, look at this in in 1 Peter, the same God who is guarding you in verse 5 is the exact same God who is using the trials he brings into your life to refine you and make your faith genuine. Same God. Please, please don't ever say, oh, God's not in this trial. God's not in this suffering. Oh, please don't say that. That's grounds for despair. God is in all of it. ACL tears. Rejection from college, seniors. How much time do I have? I got rejected from the one school I applied to, early decision. Everyone told me, the the Mr. James at my school told me, you're a lock, you're going to go play baseball there. I got rejected. Day before Thanksgiving. I cried. 
And then God in his providence led me to Vanderbilt University where I would hear the gospel and get saved. Yeah, the trials produced something, produced my salvation. So I look at that, and at the time, ah, I hate this. This is awful. And yet I look back at that, praise the Lord for that rejection letter. He's in COVID. He's in your struggles with subjects. He's in your struggles with teacher. Oh, why is Mr. Zanger here? So that I can purify you and so that God can purify you through me. You're welcome. The big theological word I want to throw as a banner over this is sanctification. God is at work within you to change you and make you more and more like Christ. It's a progressive thing. It's progressive sanctification. It happens over the course of a lifetime. And by the way, I have to attribute this to Mr. Ostrand. We live in a world dominated by feelings. Trust me, trials do not feel good. They don't. But what you need to do is preach truth to yourself in the midst of those trials, and get your feelings in line with the truth of the Bible. You need to preach the great truths of what we have covered so far from 1 Peter. I've been born again by God. I am guarded by God, and God is keeping me. I am going to receive an inheritance by God. I am to rejoice in God. God is using trials to purify me and make my faith genuine, and God is sanctifying me. Or sing to yourself wonderful truths like the second and third stanzas of the solid rock. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Let's look at verse 8 and with it our third point. Rejoice in your present reality as a believer. Verse 8 says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 8 is about your present reality as a believer, if you are a believer in here. This group of Christians never saw Christ. They never saw him. But they love him. And they believe in him. And they rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The verb tenses are fascinating. So maybe I can get my cred back with some English teachers. They each have implications on the present. Uh, Though you have not seen him, that's present perfect. You love him, present tense. Though now you do not see him, present. You believe in him, present. And rejoice, present, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, students, is this true for you? You've never seen Christ. Do you love him? Never seen him, but do you believe in him? Never seen him, but do you have joy that is inexpressible? Look at me. Peter is leading us logically through something. Rejoice, though for a little while you suffer. Okay? Those are verses 6 through 7. And then in case you have forgotten to rejoice, he gives you more truth. More 
theology. Theology matters, amen, Pastor Charles. Two, remember. Number one, you are believing. In, 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 in the ESV, it says you believe. In, in the Greek, that Greek word is, is a present continuous verb. It's something you are continuing to do. And it is as if Peter is, is coming alongside and reminding them, you're believing. Don't forget that. You're believing. You're, you're believing. And then comes my favorite part of the entire section of Scripture. You rejoice. You exult. You, the, 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 I love it. The Greek word there. You rejoice. No, 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 sorry. You, you, sorry. you jump for joy with joy that is inexpressible and full of joy. In case you missed it. Joy, 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 joy. Christmas morning. Some of you with little kids. They open up the present and they get what they got. They get what they want. Yes! And they go running around the house. They're jumping for joy. They're leaping for joy. I got this present. I got what I wanted. Hallelujah. This is the greatest thing ever. And as wonderful as a Christmas gift is, and as wonderful as anything is here on this earth, the treasure of all treasures is Christ. It's all about Him. Believing in Him. Rejoicing in Him. Glorying in Him. This is not a cold faith. This is not a cold grit your teeth type faith. This is a rejoicing faith. This is a loving faith. You should have affections for Christ. Christ should not only be your Savior and your Lord, but your treasure, your great joy. So let's recap before we go on. Verse 6, rejoice though you are necessarily suffering. Verse 7, rejoice that God is producing something in your suffering. Verse 8, rejoice in your present reality. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9, which will take us to our last point. Rejoice in your future reality. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him or are believing in him and are rejoicing, if we want to get literal here, with joy that is inexpressible. You are leaping for joy with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In verse 9, we can rejoice fully and ultimately at the outcome of our faith and our believing. Our true salvation. And Pastor Child so eloquently put this, we are in the process, sorry, if you are a Christian, you have been saved. That's called justification. You are in the process of being saved. This is called sanctification. Being saved. It's an active thing. You and God working together. And then at the end, you will be saved. That's glorification. That's the big word there. You will be saved. And you will be saved ultimately and fully and completely. You won't have to look through this world with sin-soaked eyes and look through this world with a sin-soaked heart. You don't have to do any of that anymore. You will be fully with him forever. 
And this verse ties back into verse 7. For when Christ comes back, we will be with him forever. We will see him. This is the outcome of our faith. This is what faith brings when he comes back. Oh, students, let your mind be filled with the glorious reality of what is waiting for you. When he comes, you shall be like him. When he comes, the great desire of your souls will be satisfied in him. The great hope of heaven will be fulfilled. The great keeper of our souls will come for his own and bring us to be with him forever. And Nebraska Christian, I'm, I'm just pleading with us. I'm pleading with me. I got a mirror here if you don't know. This world screams. This world screams for you to find your joy here. And what Peter is saying and the Bible says is find your joy there. Find it in Christ. This world is full of snares, those things that trip us up. And Peter is trying to scream at you through the fog. Keep going. Hold on. Keep going. Salvation is nigh. It's here. Keep pressing on. You can't lose. There's certainty in this. Just keep going. Endure. Press on. Oh, what a precious promise we have coming. What a glorious inheritance we have. I want to give you some application. From verse 7, rejoice though you are necessarily suffering. My question for you is, do you view your sufferings this way, that they are necessary and from God? Do you view your sufferings as necessary and from God? Do you view your trials in that way? Secondly, from verse 7, rejoice that God is producing something in your suffering. This is the fight of faith. This is your fight. This is your fight. In the midst of suffering, God is doing something. Keep going. Preach truth to yourself. This is the application. Preach truth to yourself. Here's a good diagnostic. Are you listening to yourself or are you preaching to yourself? Which one do you do more of? Thirdly, rejoice in your present reality. Are you believing? Do you jump for joy with a joy that is inexpressible and full of joy? Fourth, rejoice in your future reality. And I hold fast. Hold on. Keep trusting. Keep going. Let me give you uh, buddy questions and then I've got something else real quick and then we'll close. Two buddy questions for you. These are kind of welcome to buddyhood because these go deep. What are some ways you have seen God at work in your trials? What are some ways you have seen God at work in and through your trials? You could go as deep with that as you want to. Second, what are some truths that you can hold fast to during trials? We're going to close in a song. And the song is called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And this is just this glorious truth 
I, I want you as we're singing for you to listen to the lyrics and think about the lyrics. Sorry, Tab. Tab's got stiff to take down here. So as the chapel team comes forward, can you all hear me if I keep yelling at you? As the chapel team comes forward, let this be your prayer. Thank you. 